In support of Black artists, we've designed a featured post on our website highlighting episodes with artists of color. Now is the time to cultivate the art of listening. Makers and Mystics is committed to advocating the beauty of diversity and the importance of giving voice to a wide range of perspectives on art, faith, and culture. Visit makersandmystics.com to explore our growing library of over 130 conversations and keynotes. Today's episode features a keynote talk that I gave at the Breath in the Clay 2020 online event, Come and See. Come and See is a collection of workshops, performances, and keynotes exploring themes of perception and how the way we see impacts the art we make and the lives we live. Hear from artists such as Scott Erickson, Propaganda, Lanicia Rouse Tinsley, with musical contributions from Mission House, Will Reagan, John Mark McMillan, and over 30 presentations from various presenters and performers. You can register to participate in Come and See at the link on our website and in the show notes of this episode. Today's talk is titled The 27 Club on Greatness and the Pursuit of Fame. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave us a kind review on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at Makers and Mystics. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Breath in the Clay 2020 to come and see our first online event ever. I want to welcome our friends as well that may be tuning in for the first time tonight. I know we've got some friends from Australia and from the UK and from Bolivia and from the Ukraine and all beautiful places across the world that are tuning in with us tonight. And I cannot tell you how encouraged I am. I said this uh, on the opening night on Wednesday, how encouraged I was really for the first time, because I know for all of us this year, 2020, has been like being handcuffed to a hurricane. And I'm, I'm stealing that line from my good friend, Ray Hughes. But 2020 has been like being handcuffed to a hurricane. But for the first time, as I was watching over some of the videos that you guys are going to witness tonight, I was encouraged for the first time. And I felt like that 2020, as laughably and ironic as it is, everybody came into this. I think everybody wanted to be like, oh, well, 2020 vision. <laughs> And this year has been a little bit different than 2020 vision, I think, right? Or maybe we are getting to see a little bit clearer. But nonetheless, for the first time this year, when I watched over some of the videos that you're going to see tonight, some of the talks, I was encouraged. And I felt like that this year was maybe not a defeat after all. But we all know that nothing ever really looks like we think it's going to look. I mean, Gideon had an army of 10,000 people. He was ready to go take on the world and his army got whittled down to a measly 300. And then it was with the 300 that he actually changed the culture and changed the world. And so who is to say that the redemptive purpose and the silver lining in the fact that, yeah, we're sitting in a primarily empty room, but we're broadcasting to nations across the world now for the first time that wouldn't have been able to join us for the breath in the clay. Who's to say that this isn't our 300, you know? I'm excited about what's coming down the pike. And I think I said this Wednesday night as well, but limitation 
is and has always been the artist's greatest asset. And when I look at our prime example, you know, it's like we're made in the image of a creator. So I want to look at the creator's creative process. And I go to Genesis 1 and I see that uh, God himself decided to work within his own limitations and his own boundaries and time and space. And then the incarnation of Jesus and how Jesus himself chose to work within the limitations of a human frame. And so I'm like, okay, maybe our limitations of 2020 are not a bad thing after all, but maybe these limitations that have been put on us are the very things that we've needed, the very bridle that we've needed to show us the 2020 vision that we've asked for all along, right? But this weekend, we've been talking about perception and we've been talking about how the way we see impacts the art we make the worlds we build, and the lives we live. And tonight, I want to share a short talk with you about an aspect of perception that we don't often address, but we experience it in our generation far more than any other generation that's gone before us. And that's this. It's distinguishing the difference between greatness and fame. We live in a very interesting time when a construction worker and an interior designer from Waco, Texas, a nowhere town that was known for nothing but a cult leader that blew up the FBI, suddenly became international rock stars and transformed the culture of the entire city that they lived in. We live in an interesting time when a bunch of college friends doing trick basketball shots in their backyard of their rented houses can suddenly gain over a billion followers watching their videos and they can do a tour selling out stadiums. I'm talking about Dude Perfect because I hear Tyler scream in my living room every day of my life now. Thank you, Tyler, if you're tuning in to The Breath and the Clay. I'm sure you are. We live in an interesting time that is perhaps a fulfillment of what the great prophet Andy Warhol said one time. And Andy Warhol said that everyone can be famous or will be famous in the future for 15 minutes. Maybe Andy was on to something. Everybody's going to be famous for 15 minutes. We live in a time when clothes designers can have more followers than politicians on Instagram. And when I grew up a few years ago, hey, somebody laughed in the room. Bouncers. When I grew up, the only real famous people were musicians and celebrities, which were mainly actors and actresses, right? But now that's not the case. Everybody's famous. Most of you watching this are more famous than most of us. That's kind of weird and cool at the same time. In the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. But in my own life, growing up as an aspiring musician in the backwoods of North Carolina, I became driven toward fame 
Part of it was because there was absolutely nothing in the town that I grew up in, but the smell of tobacco and poverty and racism and all kinds of terrible things. And I didn't, I needed to break out. I needed to live for something bigger than myself. I needed my life to mean something to somebody. So I wanted to be a famous musician. I had famous musicians in my family and I wanted to aspire to be famous because for me, fame equaled self-worth. The more people that thought that I was good, the better I felt about myself, you know? And so I kind of had this unspoken pact that I made in my own life or this unspoken vow that I had to really wrestle through. But if I was not famous by the age of 27, then I accepted that my life was a waste and that I had not made it and that I had no more reason to live and I should just go ahead and die. That's a real thing. I'm not laughing. I had until I was 27 to make meaning out of my life, to give self-worth to myself. And my self-worth was gonna be dependent on your perception of me being something of worth. And I've, I've titled this message, The 27 Club. Some of you may know what The 27 Club is. It's a little bit different than Pat Robertson's 700 Club. This ain't The 700 Club here tonight. <laughs> You're in the wrong chat room if you thought this was The 700 Club. You're about to be real offended. But the 27 Club is a cultural phenomenon that recognized how a large number of artists, actors, musicians died at the age of 27. Jim Morrison died when he was 27. Jimi Hendrix died when he was 27. Janis Joplin died when she was 27. The graffiti artist and the painter Basquiat died when he was 27. Amy Winehouse died when she was 27. And so all the trippy psychedelia people started adding this together and figured out there was this mystical phenomenon about the age of 27. Kurt Cobain died at 27. And so I figured that I had until I was 27 to make a name for myself. And after that, I would be too old and washed up to have anything of significance to offer the world. But what was this drive to be famous and why did the worth of my life depend on it? And why was it so tied up into my youth? Why was I so afraid of growing old? It's interesting because in many tribal cultures and Native American cultures and uh, the Australian aboriginals, they value their elders as wise sages, keepers of cultural knowledge who held the wisdom and secrets of life. But in many ways, our Western world, we've idolized youth and disdained old age. I wanted to join the 27 Club. I was a self-proclaimed anarchist and I railed against anything that wanted to put limitation on my life. I didn't understand that limitation was the greatest asset of the artist and that the creative process is bringing order out of chaos. It's bringing structure out of a mess. So right now, maybe we can look at the state of our culture and we can understand why there is an artistic movement taking place at the same time that all hell is breaking loose because the artist is called to counter the chaos of our world. 
And sometimes I said it Wednesday, I'll say it again for our new listeners. Sometimes we have to break down systems that no longer work so that we may rebuild systems that do work. Systems are not the issue. We all need structure and order, but we all need freedom and the creative process to move from one stage to the next. Sometimes creativity requires destruction first. So this pursuit of fame is an attempt to satisfy one of the three core motivations that exist in the heart of the artist. I've recognized three core motivations. Of course, there are more. This is not a three-point sermon, but I do have three points. There are three core motivations in the heart of the artist. One is the need to belong. And I would add to that the need to belong to something greater than yourself. Artists want to belong to something greater than themselves. Artists have a need to be known for who they are without judgment or criticism, to be accepted. And the artist has a need to make a significant contribution. These are the three core motivations that fuel our work many times, a need to belong, a need to be known, and a need to make a significant contribution. And those are good and those are healthy and those are God-given. But often at the core of our desire to become famous is really an attempt to fill the gap in our hearts left from a lack of attention from our parents and leaders. See, there's a big difference between fame and greatness. We tire ourselves trying to prove ourselves worthy. But here's a question for us tonight. What if we began to create and what if we began to perform not to gain approval, but because we recognize we've been approved? See, I've heard preachers and religious folks say in the most well-meaning way that performance is a dirty word, especially in church culture. If you're a worship leader, you can't be a performer. I get what they're saying. They're saying they don't want you leeching off of the praises of people when you should be wanting to give glory to God. I get that. But you can't invite the artist into the community of faith and then tie their hands up and say performance is bad. We've got to distinguish between performance to gain approval and performance as a gift because we've been approved. And so here's what I want to invite us into tonight. What if we began to live our lives from the rootedness of knowing that we are accepted in the beloved? That's Ephesians 1.6 for you note takers out there. I want you to write that down. What if we began to live from a rootedness of knowing we are accepted in the beloved? Ephesians 1.6. What kind of crazy art could we offend the world with? <laughs> If we created from a space of knowing we didn't need the acceptance of the people, but that we were creating from a rootedness of being beloved of God. What could we create that the world has never seen before if we were rooted in acceptance of the spirit of God and we didn't need the praises of men to fill the gap in our heart? We could then move in a holy indifference 
that totally frees us from being enslaved to the opinions and praises of men. We have to get free from the need to be praised if we're going to find our authentic work. When we know that we're accepted in the beloved, we can be praised and we could be ignored and it doesn't matter, we're gonna do the work anyway. And this isn't to say that we don't care what our audience or our loved ones or the people in our communities and our lives think. I'm not suggesting that we have a chip on our shoulder and that we just go become, you know, uh, anarchists and rebellious um, anti-authoritarians. <laughs> of course we care what others think. Of course we do. And let's, let's be honest about that. We, we're driven by what others think, whether we want to admit it or not. We do have a desire to, to be loved, to be liked, to be accepted. But do we have an inner conviction about our work that keeps us creating regardless? That's what we need. And so I wanna challenge you, my friends that are tuning in from all over the world tonight, I wanna challenge and invite you to make this your meditation for the rest of 2020. If you want some 2020 vision this year, if you want a new perspective, if you want another perception to consider, I wanna ask you to do this. Go get a sticky note and write on it, I am accepted in the beloved. And I want you to stick it on your bathroom mirror and I want you to take a picture of it and I want you to put it on Instagram and I want you to tag the breath and the clay in it. Let's flood the internet with your sticky note from the bathroom mirror that says, I am accepted in the beloved. What if we could change culture with that one phrase? I am accepted in the beloved. Suddenly striving begins to wither and die and suddenly true authentic creativity comes forth because we perform and we create not to gain the acceptance of man, but because we've already been accepted in the beloved. Look at that sticky note every day until it transforms you. Say it to yourself, repeat it. Do what some of those old weird mystical desert fathers and mothers did that lived outside of the city when they would repeat one simple prayer over and over and over. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm accepted in the beloved. See, I'm a percussionist, so I understand the value of repetition. I know the authority of repetition. It builds and it builds and it builds. So repeat that to yourself. One more thing. We're talking about the 27 Club. I wanna offer a remedy for the 27 Club. Because right now, with social media, with Instagram, which we use and I have no issue with, so I'm not, this isn't me railing against social media. But everybody has the opportunity to be famous. But I want to encourage you to, to aspire toward greatness above fame. Because fame is a moment, but greatness is a legacy. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back all the way down in New Zealand. Fame is a moment, but greatness is a legacy. Greatness will resonate across generations. A remedy for the 27 Club is Psalm 27. 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, not the opinions of people. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. And though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war may rise against me. Though social upheaval and injustice and killings and COVID and craziness, political insanity, even though this stuff may be what swirls around us, this is the Stephen translation of Psalm 27, by the way. In this, I will be confident. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. Here's the verse for us. You ready for this one? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord. Once you and I get a taste for the beauty of the Lord, the praises of earthly fame will grow ghostly dim. My head will be lifted above my enemies. You guys can go read this on your own. I love this down here in verse 10. He says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Remember what I said earlier that many times the desire for fame is trying to fill a gap that our parents and our leaders and, our, and the people that went before us were trying so desperately to please them. Even in our rebellion, we're trying to please them. Even then, the Lord will take care of me. He'll lead me in a smooth path. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I know that's true in my own life. I would have lost heart a long time ago if I did not believe in hope above despair. So Psalm 27 is the remedy for the 27 club, setting our sights higher. I wanna say this to you, Fame is too cheap of a goal for someone beloved of God. You were destined for greatness and fame is a cheap substitute. The biggest difference between greatness and fame lies within the core motivations that spur our creative work is the interior question we ask, what do I have to gain? Or is the interior question we ask, what do I have to give? And I'm not opposed to fame. Let's all get famous. Let's all fulfill Andy Warhol's prophecy. <laughs> Let's get famous. I'm, I'm pretty big in an unknown city. But in that, even the language, dude, he made it. What do you mean he made it? He didn't make anything. It made him. You may get famous and that's fine. All my friends are famous and I've had to wrestle through that. <laughs> Vulnerability. But if you're famous, use your influence for good. Steward your influence well, but don't root your identity there. The soil is too shallow to hold the depths of eternal roots that are in your soul and spirit. You need a rootedness in heaven. You need a rootedness in that soil of the eternal. 
And I want to say this to you, and this might help take away some of that thing that says, well, dang, they have more followers than me. Oh, man, why come I post three days a week and I get 30 likes? And then this Yahoo posted one picture of them eating a taco and they got 837 likes. You've never said that, have you? You have never looked at somebody's Instagram of them eating a taco with 2,000 likes and you pour your heart and soul out with your best painting and you get 30 likes and their taco gets 2,000 likes. You're much holier than I am. That never bothers you, right? <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe tacos are better art. I want to say this to you. And I want you to remember this. Your art is not made for everyone. Some people are not going to like your art and they're not supposed to like your art. And you need to be okay with that. And I need to be okay with that. Rejection means that you're just weeding out those who aren't currently called to take the journey with you. The sooner you accept that your art is not made for everyone, the sooner you get free to do your authentic work without distraction. So stop worrying about it. If you do your authentic work, your audience will find you. Last year, I wrote a book called Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them. And I looked at the website of this book recently, and it was the most ridiculously funny thing I've read all year. Because at the top of my website of Five Creativity Killers and How to Avoid Them, it says this. A free ebook that will help you launch 2020 with creative momentum. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love the, the thoughts that I put down in this book, but there was no free ebook that was going to launch my 2020 into a creative momentum of anything. So I confess to you right now that my website is a lie. This is not going to launch your creativity in 2020. Or it's, it might, it's not going to launch 2020. Uh, somebody said to me earlier this year that the same people that administrated the fire Festival are administrating 2020, and I think that might be right. But nonetheless, I'm going to read you something from this book, and then I'm going to give you the link to that website so that you can download this book for free. This is a section called The Fear of Rejection. And it says, we are wired with a spiritual and biological need to belong. Even the most independent among us, that's me, still have a need for community and affirmation. This is normal, a beautiful part of our humanity. God created us to thrive within interdependent relationships with our families and communities. Our loved ones and friends often serve as mirrors reflecting back to us aspects of ourselves we cannot see on our own. The feedback of our community can play a crucial role in our creative development and help us accomplish things we couldn't accomplish on our own. But when this need for affirmation becomes the compelling motive behind our work, it can lead to a fear of rejection and transform the beauty of interdependence into a toxic form of codependence. Because art is such an intimate and vulnerable expression of the artist's inner life, any rejection of the work can be experienced as a rejection of the artist, him or herself. 
Hidden suspicions of unworthiness or beliefs that our gifts don't measure up appear validated when our creative offerings are not well received, when we're not famous by the year 27. But rejection doesn't always mean the art is bad and it isn't an indication of our self-worth. Art is an extension of who we are, but it is not who we are. Taste is subjective and some people like things others don't. If we set out to make art that pleases everyone, we will make art that pleases no one, namely ourselves. Our art is not meant to appeal to everyone, and that's okay. The paintings of abstract artist Vasily Kandinsky were so revolting to his initial viewers that they were spit upon. Expressionist painter Barnett Newman was told he was no more than a house painter and continued to face criticism throughout his career. Today, however, Kandinsky's works are on display at the Guggenheim and Newman is known as one of the most innovative artists of his time. Our job as artists is not to please everyone, but to be faithful to the vision we carry inside. Here's an interesting thing. In Mark 3.17, Jesus named James and his brother John the sons of thunder. And at one point, these sons of thunder wanted to use their power and their influence to call down fire from heaven to kill those who had rejected Jesus' message. At another time, when Jesus told them that he was going to die, their response was, well, can I sit on your left and he on your right? Can we be raised up to an authority? If you're going to die, how about if you put us in position to take over? Isn't that kind of interesting? Like, really, I'm going to die, and this is the right time to you to ask for a raise? But they learned what it meant to be accepted in the beloved. It wasn't something they had to fight or strive for. It was a reality to walk in. James went on to become the first Christian martyr in history, while John became known as John the Beloved. What if that became our title? I'm Stephen the Beloved. You're Jess, the beloved. You're Corey, the beloved. You're Brittany, the beloved. What if that became our identity? James and John knew they were destined for greatness, but they got a little turned around on the pathway to get there. See, greatness doesn't come as a result of exerting power or violence and striving. True greatness comes from the path of humility. And I don't mean that false religious self-depreciating humility that pretends to be humble, well, it was all God. It wasn't me, brother. I said it was good. I didn't say it was that good. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, before honor comes humility. And I think that many of us in religious circles have fallen prey to false humility that makes us afraid of self-promoting, makes us afraid of sharing our gift. But what if your art isn't about you to begin with? What if the world needs your art? What if you're hiding your, your gift away is actually pride and self-preservation and fear of rejection, whereas sharing your gift with the world is being a faithful steward? So don't get caught up in religious false humility in your attempt to get rid of the desire for fame. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. Give what you've got, but don't sell yourself short by striving after fame or more likes or more followers. You are destined for true greatness. Fame comes and goes, but true greatness is a legacy. And sometimes the trajectory of greatness is a commitment to playing the long game. We could talk for hours about 
the Van Goghs of history who sold one, two paintings in his lifetime, maybe? What about Edgar Allan Poe? Nobody knew him. The list goes on and on of people who lived and worked in obscurity during their lifetime only to become leading voices in the generations after their death. One of my heroes is Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz. He was 47 when he first wrote that novel. Howard Finster, another artist that we've talked about on the Makers and Mystics podcast, he didn't even start making art until he was in his 60s. And he ended up going on to make album covers for REM and Talking Heads. And he became the most famous folk artist in all of history and created over 49,000 pieces of art. And he didn't start until he was in his 60s. The painter Rudolf Arnheim painted his Christ crowned with thorns when he was approaching 90 years old. So let's be true to the work we've been given to do. Let's stay true to the voice God has given us and to authenticity, whether there is an audience or a market for it or not. I don't care about market so much as I care about authenticity. And yes, I do care about market, but I want my priorities to be right. Commit to the long game because if something resonates with you, then it's probably going to resonate with somebody else at some point along the way. How do you know that the work you're doing today is not meant for a generation yet to be born? How do you know that the work you are passionate about is not meant to light a fire in a generation still in the womb? Don't be discouraged if people don't get your work. And by all means, do not conform your work to fit what is popular for the love. Hear me say that. Do not conform your work for what is popular. Because if you try to conform your work to what is popular today, you are already 10 years behind the curve. So don't sell yourself short. Don't dishonor the creative gift God has given you by conforming it to popularity. If you are true to your work, your audience will find you. I want to commit to you and I want you to commit to me that we're going to go after greatness above fame. We're going to commit to play the long game. And I want you to write that sticky note on your mirror that says, I am accepted in the beloved. And then I want you to know that if it means anything at all, I give you permission to go after that weird creative thing in your heart that has no prototype and that everybody around you is going to think you're insane for going after. Because I say it every week on the podcast, keep creating, the world needs your art. And I mean it. It's not just a catchy tagline. Because your art's not about you. Thanks again for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you've been inspired by today's episode, please consider becoming a monthly patron and supporting the production of these discussions on art, faith, and culture. Our patrons enjoy exclusive content, regular online book clubs, and a private Facebook group where we discuss the topics of the podcast and share works in progress. We'll see you again next week. And until then... Keep creating. The world needs your art.